Good morning. Welcome to Eastern Shore Baptist Church's podcast. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm so thrilled that you have decided to tune in this week. I certainly hope that today's message will be both encouraging to you, but also I pray that it will be convicting. You can find out more about our church by visiting www.myesbc.net. God bless you and look forward to seeing you soon at church. I do want to get into today's message. The year was 1954. It was February. The pilot of the airplane was a gentleman by the name of Jim Lovell. Many of you remember the movie that was made about Jim Lovell, the astronaut from Apollo 13. Well, this was a, a, a few years before that, obviously. Jim Lovell was a pilot. He was flying a training exercise off of the coast of Japan. About two hours into his flight, everything malfunctioned in his cockpit. All the lights turned off, all the navigational instruments uh, went dead, and he was literally flying in the dark. He could not see anything at all, and he was hopelessly lost. And so Jim Lovell, he began trying to fly around, and maybe, just maybe, he might be able to find the carrier that he had taken off from several hours earlier, but it was to no avail. He, He couldn't find it. And he began to panic. And so the, he, he knew that he was running low on fuel. And, and so he began to try to think about, well, maybe I need to start thinking about maybe a crash landing into the water. Maybe that's something that I need to really begin pondering. And as he looked out the side of his windows, he noticed that there was something that had been stirred up in the water. Now, I don't exactly know precisely what it was. But he could see in the water a glowing trail that had been stirred up by his ship. Now, if my memory serves correct, I'm going to try my very best to remember exactly what these chemicals and these uh, little creatures were. They were called bioluminescent dinoflagellates. Don't make me say it again. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. That's right. Well, apparently these chemicals and these little bitty creatures that when they get stirred up by ships, especially if it's late at night, they will glow in the water. And so Jim Lovell, he was able to actually pilot his plane following this trail of bioluminescent whatever they are right back to his ship where he landed safely. That's a pretty cool story. Now, Light is important. I think that we would all agree that light is important, especially when we are flying in the dark. It was important for Jim Lovell because it led him to life. It led him to salvation. And friends, I want to remind you today that we live in a very dark and dangerous world. Everywhere we turn, there seems to be darkness and danger at every turn. So as believers, what are we to do? When we are living in a dark and dangerous world, what are we to do? Well, we ought to follow the example of of astronaut Jim Lovell. We should follow the light. Because that light that we follow will lead to life and salvation. As choruses, as Jesus' followers of the cross, we are the light of the world. Do you understand that? That as followers of Jesus Christ, you are the light of the world. We carry the illumination of the Holy Spirit within our souls and within our hearts. And that we can actually be a light unto someone else who's lost in darkness. 
The question this morning that I'd like you to fill in on your, on your blank there is this. Are you shining or shunning the light? Are you shining or shunning the light? When Asia's family came up here this morning and as they were practicing, I had the, the wonderful privilege of praying for them. And I, I actually asked the Lord, I said, Father, if it's your will, I pray that not only myself or Tony or our, our instrumentalists, but mostly Asia and her family, that they will shine with the countenance of Jesus Christ. That instead of seeing a person up here, that they would see Jesus up here and that they would follow him I want to give you a little bit of background on today's text out of Luke chapter 8, verses 16 through 18. And Jesus' message of hope and salvation, it was taking the literal countryside by a storm. Thousands of people had been coming out to hear Jesus preach. And although they came to see him perform miracles, a growing number of them believed in Jesus as their Savior and as their Messiah. And these believers eventually became followers of Christ. These followers of Christ eventually became disciples of Christ. Toward the end of his Galilean ministry, about 16 months after Jesus was baptized and his earthly ministry, his public ministry started, Jesus told a parable, uh, the one that we talked about last week, which was the parable of the sower. If you remember that story, in the parable, Jesus was showing different people with differing responses to his message. And if you remember, some hear the word of God and there's no response at all. They just turn a, a blind eye or a blind ear or a blind heart to it. Others hear it and they respond superficially. But when the, the hard times come and when the testing comes, they, they fall away. And yet others hear it and respond to it. But as they go on their way, the cares and the riches and the concern of life choke out their decision to follow or to hold on to that gospel story. And finally, at the very end, that fourth soil, there are some who hear the word of God, they respond to it, they hold it fast and they hold it honest and in a good heart and they bear fruit in repentance and Jesus continues to elaborate on the responses of his message. Now, I will say when we talk about the parable of the lamp, that he's not just talking about general individuals. What he's actually talking to, the people he's talking to here, are the direct followers of Jesus Christ, the disciples of Jesus Christ, if you will. And he's asking them, you've heard me preach these things. You've heard me say these things over and over and over again. You've seen me do miracles and you've responded by following me. But, but now that you know this information to be true, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with the light that you found? So the parable of the lamp is to teach people how to respond to the message of Christ Jesus. So let's read together in Luke chapter 8 verses 16 through 18. Um, the reading this morning from the English Standard Version, the ESV, Jesus' words say this, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a stand so that those who may enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known come to light. Take, can, uh, excuse me, take care then how you hear for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. 
This morning, I want to describe to you three lessons from Jesus' message about the parable of the lamp. The first thing I want you to understand is the lamp's purpose. The lamp's purpose is to shine. The lamp's purpose is to shine. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a stand so that those who may enter may see the light. A few months ago, it was July, and I had the opportunity to go to Vermont on a mission trip. This was uh, probably my third or fourth time uh, of going to Vermont. I, I love going to Vermont. I love the people of Vermont. I love the state of Vermont. It's a, it's a very impressive state. It's a beautiful state. It's very natural. And, and the people there are just incredibly kind and very sweet. And we had a, a wonderful team of made up of about 19 individuals of all different ages. And maybe what made that trip to Vermont so special for me was that I was able to carry my nine-year-old son, Jack, uh, with me. And he was able to help and do so much. Well, on one in particular night, our team decided that we would go stargazing. I honestly can't remember the name of the, the city. Do you remember the name of the little town, Bryant, where we were at? Do you? Sid, do you know? Can you remember? No. It was a beautiful town. It was very picturesque. Well, a lot of stars. That's right. Well, we drove. It took about an hour and a half to find this little town. And it was up on a hill. And at the very top of this hill, there was an observatory. And as we came up to the hill, there was a little Ver Vermontian. Is that what you call them? Vermotion. Do you call them that? I don't know. I know we're Alabamians. Okay. So, so this man who lived in Vermont, he came down. He had a red light with him, not a regular flashlight. But he had a red light because you don't want to flash a flashlight because it affects your pupils and it, it inhibits your ability to see the stars. So he comes down off of this hill with his really, you know, little red light. And he brings us up on top of this hill. And there is this observatory. And he's got all these telescopes that are out there. And we began to look through these telescopes, and it was really amazing. As I began to look through these telescopes, you could see far-off distant planets. Probably the coolest one was Saturn. I saw Saturn through a telescope. It was really neat. And then you could see far-off galaxies that were millions and millions and millions of light years away. And then you could actually, with your own eyes, because it was so dark and the visibility was so good, you could see satellites passing overhead. It was really neat. Well, while I was up there, I heard a word that I had never heard before. And the word is albedo. Albedo. I kept talking about albedo. I had no idea what albedo actually meant. Now, I found the definition because maybe you've never heard of it either. Albedo. It's the measurement of how much sunlight a celestial body reflects. Think about that. It's the measurement of sunlight a celestial body reflects. So I did some research. The planet Venus has the highest albedo measuring at 0.65. In other words, 65% of the light that hits Venus is reflected off of Venus. And depending on where it is in its orbit, the, is Pluto a planet yet or is it not a planet? I grew up knowing Pluto was a planet. It's not. Maybe it'll come back around. 
Do you all feel kind of cheap now that, that Pluto's not a planet anymore? It kind of bothers me a little bit. But depending on where you are, Pluto, all right, has an albedo ranging from 0.49 to 0.66. Our nightlight, for instance, the moon. So you're probably thinking, well, goodness gracious, the moon must be really bright. No. Do you know that 7% of the sun is actually reflected off of the moon? Only 7%. That's kind of amazing. I didn't know that. Now, as I begin to hear this word and think about how much sun is reflecting off these different planets, it it came to my mind that we also have an albedo. Stuart has an albedo. It's not uh, like a physical thing, but I would say we have a spiritual albedo. And our goal as Christ followers is that we have not 0.65% or 0.07%, But we should have 100% reflectivity. Not not of the sun, but of the sun. We should be reflecting Jesus everywhere that we go at 100%. And I believe that what cheapens Christianity today is we have some believers who reflect the sun and are satisfied with only reflecting him in half of their lives. They reflect them maybe with a word. They may reflect them with a paycheck, but they don't want to reflect all of them. Well, friends, the purpose of a lamp is to shine. You are the lamp. I am the lamp. If we're not shining, we're not fulfilling our purpose as believers. If we're not reflecting the sun, then we're reflecting something else. And we drive people further and further from Christ. On a normal day, where everything goes my way, it's pretty easy to reflect Jesus. On a normal day when everything's good, when everything is right in my life, boy, it's easy to reflect Jesus in those days. What about the days when hardly anything goes your way? When your boss is a jerk or you failed a test or you got a speeding ticket, do you reflect Jesus in those days? Or what, what about the times when somebody says something against you or something that frustrates you and makes you mad? Do you reflect Jesus in those days? Friend, the purpose of the lamp is to shine. If you're not shining, you're not fulfilling your purpose. If you're not reflecting Christ, you're reflecting something else and driving people away from him. The challenge is this, friends. Are you the lamp? Are you hiding Jesus under a bed? Because guess what? When you hide lamp, lit lamps under beds, they burn. You put the lamp out for people to see, to light their way. We we need to know that is when we shine the brightest. It's in the hard times that we can dial up the albedo of our lives. It's in those moments when Christ is best seen in us, when the hard times come and yet we can still reflect Jesus. That's when the challenge is really best. So follow Paul's advice to shine like the stars in the universe. He says this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. For it is God who works in you to will and to act on behalf of his good pleasure. Do everything without complaining or arguing. 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 So that you may be blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine as lights 
in the world. Friend, you are the light of the world. Jesus shining through you in the darkness. The second lesson from Jesus' message comes from verse 18. The Word's purpose. We know the lamp's purpose is to shine. The Word's purpose is to spread. The Word's purpose is to spread. Look at verse 18. Take care then how you hear, for the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Now we really need to take a careful look at what Jesus is saying. Just what does he mean by the lamp and the light? Who is he speaking of after all? Well, we know that he was speaking directly, specifically to his followers. He was speaking to the disciples. The lamp and light that which he is speaking of are his words and his teachings. One might say that he's speaking allegorically, if you will, of the gospel. Essentially, Jesus is saying to his disciples that they have heard his words and teachings. Now what are they going to do with those words and those teachings? How will they measure his words? Where will they take the light of the gospel? Will they shine it, spread it, hide it? How will his words affect their life? I saw this, by the way, powerfully illustrated yesterday. I was surfing around on the web. And I saw this video that Burger King made. It was weird. It was a partnership between Burger King and an anti-bullying campaign. I don't know how those two things marry up together. I'm against bullying, and I like hamburgers, so I watched it. It was fascinating, though. So the, the scene sets up in Burger King. You've got a young boy, and he's sitting there, and he's trying to eat his Whopper, minding his own business. Then you've got a group of kids that walk into Burger King and pretend like they know him. They walk up to him. They begin to push him. They begin to curse at him. The, the, the guy walks over and grabs his Dr. Pepper, which was the low point of the video, and he pours it on the hamburger, a waste of a Dr. Pepper and a hamburger. They, they begin to mock him. They begin to, to tell him that he's worthless, that he's got no value, that nobody loves him. All the while, Burger King is filled with people waiting for their order. And they get little snapshots of people sitting down, waiting idly by, waiting for their Whopper to be delivered to them. And they're looking around, and they see this kid who's being bullied. They watch it happen. And the whole time they're watching this kid have drinks poured on him and on his food and, and his stuff being thrown down on the floor and people curse him and yell at him and make fun of him. And do you know what they do? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. They just sit there. They get back on their iPhones, play a little more Candy Crush, surf Facebook, whatever it is they're doing. So finally they get their order. These people that said nothing about this kid being bullied. And so the guy that's making their hamburger decides he's going to bully their hamburger. So he puts their hamburger together and he takes his fist and pounds it. Beats the hamburger into nothing. Wraps it up and says, your Whopper's ready. Order number 27, your Whopper's ready. 
The guy comes and gets his order. He sits down with his fries and he opens up his hamburger and it's a mess. And he just looks at it. It looks like it's been chewed on or, you know, torn to shreds and pieces. So the guy takes his hamburger back up to the counter and he says, sir, like, what is this? And he goes, oh, that's your hamburger, but it's been bullied. What? Yeah, 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 you, know, you want your hamburger bullied, right? You don't, you don't care if it's bullied, do you? Like in the back, what we did is we made your hamburger and we tore it to shreds and we punched it a lot and we kind of made fun of it and we wrapped it up and gave it to you. You don't really care, right, if we do that. And the guy's like, are you crazy? Of course I care. Are, are you serious right now? You, tore, you did that to my hamburger? You put your fist in my hamburger? You tore my hamburger up? Is there a manager I can talk to here about this? This is a serious situation. Here is the more serious situation. There are more people that cared about a shredded up hamburger than a kid who's getting bullied. That's the more significant problem. You've got more people that'll get out of their seat and come make a big deal about a hamburger, which is what? A buck and a half? And yet, they'll say nothing about a kid being bullied right in front of them. As I began to think about that, I began to put myself in that situation. What would I do? What would Jesus compel me to do in a situation like that? If I saw someone that was defenseless, would I try to defend them? If I saw someone that was being bullied, if I saw someone that was being abused, would I say, no, you can't bully that person. You can't abuse that person. Why? Because that person is born in the image of God. God created that child, and therefore I'm going to stand up for that child because I believe Jesus died for that child. But see, Jesus wants us to do more than know his words. Jesus wants us to take his words and put them into practice every single day. Maybe you've not walked into a Burger King and seen some kid be bullied, although I probably, going back to our teachers, you probably have seen people bullied. But maybe you have seen someone that's been done wrong. Maybe you have seen someone that's hurting. Maybe you have seen someone that's depressed. Maybe you have seen someone that's downcast. Even though that person may not have experienced an illustration that I just shared to you, you can still put the words of Christ into action by walking up to that person, putting your arm around that person and saying, Brother, sister, I am here for you. I'm not going to abandon you. I love you putting the words of Christ into action. The fact is that many people hear the message of God's word and they never make any, and it never makes any difference in their lives. The message literally goes in one ear and out the other. The gospel is meant to make an impact in our hearts. It is meant to change us. It's meant to change how we see the world and people that are in it. The gospel which we possess was not given to us only to be admired or talked about and professed. The gospel loses all meaning, period, if it is not practiced every single day. 
It's not meant to merely reside in our intellect and in our memories and in our tongues, but it's meant to be seen in our lives. Friends, if you profess to belong to Christ, the message of the gospel, it must transform you. When you hear the message of the gospel, the message of God's word, you must hear it responsively. It is not meant to you for, for you to hear passively, to do nothing with, but you must respond to it. You must adjust your life in accordance with God's word. This means that if God's word is running here, our lives can't run here. You can't call yourself a believer if God's word is here and your life runs counter parallel to it. You must adjust your life to where it syncs up with the gospel, moving together the same way. James speaks very powerfully on this issue. In James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, listen to what it says. It says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks in, into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the word, this is the one that would be blessed in all that he does." Jesus goes on to state the consequences for not following through with what we know. If we hear and do not do, if we do not obey, blessings will be taken away. It's not just our actions that are seen and measured by God, but also our inaction. Think about that for just a moment. Many of us spend a great deal of time fretting about what God sees us do. But I tell you, friends, we should be fretting maybe more about the things that God sees that we don't do. Our inaction, our unwillingness to serve, our unwillingness to be obedient, our unwillingness to take the chance and say yes to the Lord, our inability to follow through with our obedience. Now, that's something that we should all be thinking about. It's my desire that we hear the word of God, that we experience a transformation, and then we're totally reflective of God's work in our lives. We become totally, as our youth may say, sold out. I saw a football team the other day. Their motto was all in. We have more people in Alabama all in to football and less people all in to Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The lamp's purpose is to shine. The word's purpose is to spread. And the light's purpose is to show. Show. Look at verse 17. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be be known and brought to light. Nothing's in secret. Everything will be brought to light. A few days ago, I was reading through a newspaper and I came across the story of a dad who lives in Boston, Massachusetts. He was driving his wife's car in the back seat. He had his five-year-old son. He was all belted in. And he was trying to make it to an appointment, trying to get his son dropped off at school. We've all been there before, right? 
in a hurry in the morning. He's driving through Boston traffic. He's in the middle of downtown. And it was that typical story as he's approaching this light. He sees that it flickers down to yellow. And so what does he do? Man, he guns it. And right as he comes to that intersection, that yellow light flickers down to red. And man, boom, he goes through it. He drops his son off at school, goes to his appointment. The day goes by, comes back, picks his son up from school, drives back the way home. His son had a good day. They get home, and he uh, comes in uh, for, for a quiet night of dinner, and then all of a sudden, on the door. Man goes to the door, opens it up. Guess what? There's two police officers there. And he says, officer, what, what, I'm sorry, what's, what's going on? And he said, yes, sir, we, uh, we received a phone call here uh, from your house about an hour ago about a traffic violation that happened earlier today. And we, uh, we have a policy that we respond to all traffic violations or, or, or all phone calls that come into the police department. We have to, to go and check it out. And, uh, and, and he said, uh, I guess, sir, I don't, I don't know anything about that. Who, who in the world called you about a traffic violation? And he said, well, sir, I believe it was your five-year-old son. <laughs> his five-year-old son had picked up the phone, called the police about his dad running a red light earlier in the day. He did get off with a warning, by the way. Isn't it funny? That dad thought that no one saw it. That father thought he had broken the law, but yet there was no one there to report it. The only problem with that is there's always somebody in the back seat. There's always somebody in the back seat watching. There's always somebody in the back seat taking notes. And friend, just because you think you're alone, just because you think, oh, well, you know what, God, God doesn't really care about all that. God, God doesn't care about that late night drink. God, God doesn't really care about the fact that I, I take this drug. God doesn't really care about, man, when my wife is asleep, I'll, I'll slip into my office. She's not going to find out what I'm looking at. Ladies, maybe it's, you know what? We've got separate accounts. He's not going to know what I'm spending my money on. They're, they're, no one's ever really going to find out. Well, from what this scripture tells us, let me read it again. Because when we have the light, that light exposes. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Now, here's the really scary thing. There are some of us who will go throughout this physical existence and we will carry with us a secret that no man will ever find out about here. But when we go to heaven, and we've, or when we, when we face judgment, rather, when we stand before the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, who sees every deed that we've ever done and can penetrate our minds and our hearts and know us 
perfectly, instantly. And when we stand before the judge, we will realize how much better it would have been for us to confess sin here than to have to profess sin there. One way or the other, our actions, good, bad, ugly, they'll always be known. The truth will always come out because of what Scripture says, nothing will ever be hidden. Nothing will be in secret. Life, or excuse me, light provides a lot for us. It provides guidance. In Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. Light provides warmth and draws people close in 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Light illustrates knowledge. When people have light, you think that they're smart. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Christ Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Think about the light in surgical terms. Many of you have had laser surgery, right? You have had focused and intense light that is used to cut away cancerous tissue, malfunctioning organs, or even repair a damaged eye. Light is literally a mechanism for cutting away parts of us that have become bad for us. In Isaiah chapter 58, verse 8, then light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. <laughs> light brings healing. Light is essential to life. Without sunlight, everything would die. Without fire, everything, we wouldn't be able to cook anything. Without light, our world would be dark. Light has one more crucial element that needs to be remembered. Light exposes that which is in the dark. Light exposes the sin in our hearts and lives. What we think we do in darkness, God sees plainly and clearly. God knows our hearts and our minds and our spirits so much better than we do. I'll ask you a question. It's a question that I have to ask myself. It's a question if you're human, you should always ask. Do you have a secret sin that you think no one will ever find out about? Do you have a sin that you feel that God himself is just sort of absent-minded to or maybe not paying attention to? If the answer is yes, confess it, lose it here on earth so that it will not be bound in eternity. The light of Christ will expose our sin, our disobedience, or our unwillingness to comply to God's righteous standard, and nothing will ever be hidden from God. Nothing will ever be hidden from God. Nothing. Nothing. So what's the application of today's message? Remember that you are the light on a hill. As a follower of Christ, you are here to draw people closer to God, not further away from him. Remember that you possess the light of the gospel. The purpose of the words of Christ are to spread them. Let those words illuminate the darkness. Shine them with your actions and with your words and with your thoughts. Lastly, ask God to use his light to illuminate the very dark places that exist in our lives. Show us, reveal to us the areas of our lives that need to be improved and use the light to cut away sinful parts so that we can live lives that might glorify King Jesus.
Oh, brothers and sisters, I pray that you will follow this last portion of the service to go and light the world.